Good morning. This is Dr. Odell Glenn of the OG Inspiration Show, bringing you another week of empowerment as well as encouragement and inspiration for the purpose of my show is to inspire, motivate, empower, enrich the lives of others through education, career planning, nonprofit organizations, authors, faith-based communities, coaches, entrepreneurs, professionals, and small business owners. The purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience, to turn obstacles into opportunity to the utmost, and to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experiences. For we have an innovative God, and he is constantly challenging us to reflect his glory, to utilize the characteristics he has given each of us to move forward towards righteousness. We must often be innovative in that task. So today, we have an awesome guest with her. Her name is the Reverend Dr. Marsha Ledford, and she has very empowering entities to share with us. And so before we start, I just want to open up with a short word of prayer. God, we thank you for another week, another hour, another day, another moment to live in the now. And so God, we ask that you would bless this show that anyone who is listening would be blessed and empowered, that they would have eyes open, that we may see, ears heard, that we may hear. And God, we ask for your blessings and your empowerment and your anointing on this show. We thank you. Amen. Amen. And so there are certain quotes that I would like to inspire you on this morning. I have about five of them. The first one is really from a scripture and the book of Micah, and it just basically says, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Benjamin Franklin once said, justice will not be served into those who are unaffected or as outraged as those who are. So justice will not be served into those who are unaffected or just as much outraged as those are. That's a very, very powerful statement, even written in the time that he wrote that. And another quote that I really like is, there's no such thing as an ordinary human. So <laughs> we're basically not meant to be ordinary and do the same mundanes. We are basically human sent to do extraordinary works. And Nelson Mandela said, it always seems impossible until it's done. So yes, some things are impossible on the surface, but when you start walking in the purpose and doing it, things don't seem as bad as they used to. Another quote that I would like to empower you and encourage you today is you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. So it's easier to look the other way and say that it's not my problem, but you can't say that you never knew when it may come back your way. And so that's really not a great lesson to learn when it comes back your way, but, and you had the power to do something about it when you saw it initially or take some step to help someone that may have been marginalized or was in a predicament that you could 
yourself help in such a way. And Theodore Roosevelt, this is the last quote. He said, justice consists not in being neutral between right and wrong, but in finding out the right and upholding it wherever found against the wrong. So again, that goes to show that we basically have to put our moral consciousness on the line and to stand up for the right, even if it hurts us or takes away some of the things that we have believed. If it's standing up for human rights, for animal rights, we have to kind of put our ego on hold and really uphold whatever is against the wrong. And sometimes people want to stay neutral and they don't want to do anything and they'll depend on others to do, but we all must stand and have a voice in society as well as whether you're a Christian or not, you still have an obligation to do such. Okay, as I mentioned, we have the Reverend Dr. Marsha Letford. Reverend Dr. Marsha Letford's ministry focuses on Southwest Detroit's Latinx population, located at an international port with an aggressive regional immigration and custom enforcement director. Dr. Letford is a civil rights attorney representing society's most marginalized. She has dedicated her working life to the pursuit of justice because when one group of persons is diminished, we all are thus diminished. An Episcopal priest, Dr. Letford studied theology at the Economical Theological Seminary in Detroit, Michigan. While there, she engaged in urban studies for ministry and explored theologies of the marginalized from around the world. Dr. Lefford holds a Master of Divinity from the Episcopal Church Divinity School of the Pacific. She earned her Doctor of Ministry in Political Theology from Pacific School of Religion. Both Church Divinity School of the Pacific and Pacific School of Religion are member schools of the Graduate Theological Union a preeminent global and interface consortium for theological study. In college, she majored in American history and psychology at Albion College. These academic concentrations prepared her for exploring and understanding the psychographical nature of American history and how skin color dictates the American social agenda. Dr. Letford earned her Juris Doctorate from the University of Detroit School of Law a Jesuit school. She adopted a foundation of Christian faith and legal jurisprudence, plus the standard curriculum. Her ministry incorporates Catholic social teaching as its cornerstone. Catholic social teaching gospel emphasizes and protects every human being's dignity and works towards the common good to usher in God's reign. Her first career as a civil rights attorney concentrated on cases involving the First Amendment and equal protection under the 14th Amendment. Her mission combines her love of the gospel with expertise in the United States Constitution to help others exercise their civil rights to establish a more just American society. Political Theology Matters, LLC, founded by Dr. Letford, helps the faithful develop public theology mission and broadcast messaging for greater social justice. She is trained 
for community organizing through the Industrial Areas Foundation and volunteers with Michigan United with a particular interest in racial reconciliation and immigration reform. Dr. Letford is an award-winning photographer, writer, blogger, keynote speaker, teacher, and preacher. After this commercial break, we will then interview the Reverend Dr. Marsha Letford. Hi, I'm Dr. Orlando Morris McCauley Jr., a candidate for Episcopal service in the AME Church. I'm the father of three young men and one daughter who are millennials. Their vision and concept of church is quite different than tradition. One of my visions as candidate for bishop is to find innovative ways for which millennials can exercise their gifts and share their vision, especially through technology. There are a few ways you can help the Macaulay for Bishop campaign by donating monetary gifts. You may do so by visiting our website at www.macaulayforbishop.com and clicking on the donation page on the menu. You may donate using the Cash App or the Givelify options. Your gift can make a huge difference in the life of the church. Find us on Facebook at Macaulay for Bishop 2020. Share our link, promote what we do, or find out how to volunteer. The Lord bless and keep you is my prayer. Are you a full-time caregiver for a loved one with a terminal illness? Do you feel overwhelmed at times? Do you often feel as if there is no hope? Well, with over 12 years of caregiving experience for two parents alone, in addition to writing a dissertation, fulfilling ministerial obligations, working home-based businesses, and radio personality responsibilities, Dr. Odell Glenn has found the time and has had the energy to write a book to inspire and empower other caregivers. Purchase his book entitled, Caregiving, the inspirational manual on his website at www.ogcaregiving.com. And you can also book him to come and speak at your next event, function, or club. Again, the website is www.ogcaregiving.com. Does your child have an interest in STEM? Is he or she always asking the why questions? With four engineering degrees behind him, Dr. Glenn can help you better navigate the process. Sign up on his website at www.ogstem.com for newsletters, his upcoming book, and webinars dedicated to STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. The key to success is to plan early. It's never too early to plan. Do you have that burning desire to educate, empower, and inspire community? We here at WDRB Media provide you with such wonderful opportunities to make such a positive impact. So step out on faith and make a significant difference with your gift. We care about your voice and the impact it has. Call 1-877-342-7770 and provide them with the code 1349 to begin the process. That's 1-877-342-7770 and code 1349. So welcome back, radio audience. We are here with the Reverend Dr. Marsha Ledford. Dr. Marsha Ledford, can you introduce yourself to the audience and tell them where you're from? Sure. Good morning, Odell. It's a delight to be with you today. I am speaking from with you from Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I'm in the Mitten as we affectionately call it up here, of the two peninsulas in Southeast Michigan. I'm about 30 miles west of Detroit. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. 
And so, Dr. Marsha, can you tell us a little bit about your education? I read in your bio that you majored in American history and psychology as your bachelor's degree. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience at Albion College? Sure. Albion College is a small liberal arts college between here and Chicago. And I spent four years there and studying American history and psychology. And I wanted to go to law school. So I thought those two majors would really help me in my legal career. And that proved to be true. I had a focus on the 1800s primarily in the American history part of the major, focusing on before and after the Civil War. Awesome. Awesome. And so can you tell us a little bit about what made you go into the ministry after getting degrees in American history and psychology? Sure. When I was coming of age, there were not a lot of women at the pulpit and at the altar. I had sensed a call to ordain ministry from the time I was a teenager, say 14 or 15 years old. But I wasn't sure if there was a place for me there. So I decided to pursue working for the marginalized by becoming a civil rights attorney. So that's what I did for the first several decades of my working life. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And so you studied your theology degree at Economical Theological Seminary in Detroit, Michigan. And were you working as a civil attorney at the same time, or you had basically separated yourself? Well, I had, for the most part, separated myself. I do take the occasional case, and I did some legal work to help with tuition, for example. And the experience at the Ecumenical Theological Seminary in Detroit, Michigan, was very important because I had the opportunity to study urban ministry in a city that has experienced the good and the bad and the ugly in terms of great wealth and industrial productivity for the big three, the automakers, and then the rebellion of 1967 and the following white flight, which left Detroit in a very tough spot. And now there's this resurgence, this renaissance that's going on in the city of Detroit, which I'm very proud to say is happening. I was born in the city of Detroit. I like to say I was made in Detroit. My dad worked for GM. And so when I was there, one of the things that that seminary really focuses on are theologies from other parts of the world, Asian theology and from Africa. So there's Black theology, there's womanist theology, which is African-American women's theology here in the United States. And that was a really important part of my formation because it really helped me to start understanding social and racial injustice in the United States, particularly since I'm white and I had a substantial, my dad had a substantial job. I'm well-educated. I grew up in a basically all-white community and I really had no clue what was really going on in the real world. So all of these experiences were a real eye-opener for me. And I'm so thankful that I had them. But to be ordained in my tradition, which is the Episcopal Church, we have to have several courses in Anglican studies because we derive from the Church of England. 
were part of the worldwide Anglican communion. So I went to the Church Divinity School of the Pacific in Berkeley, California, to finish my MDiv and to complete my Anglican studies. And after that, I had a ministry, as you read in my bio, in Southwest Detroit with our Latino communities. And I have to tell you that even with all of my work as a criminal defense attorney and a civil rights attorney, I was absolutely appalled by what is being done to the Latino diaspora uh, all around the country, but also in Detroit. And so I decided to study this and then to write about it, write a dissertation in pursuit of a doctor of ministry degree to help me form the mission that I'm working on now, which I view to be the capstone of my working life for the rest of my working life. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And so audience, as you can see, the vast diaspora of Marsha's life journey started off basically going to undergraduate school, then finding herself in the process, integrating ministry into her life, and then coming out with a product that is a form of ministry that helps to modulize. And so I have to applaud you for the journey that you went on. And I know it was lots of faith and unknowns, but you trusted God to direct and order your steps. And so Marcia, you founded the Political Theology Matters. Could you tell us about that? Can you tell us how that began? And to the audience who is pretty much new to the political world, can you tell us what sure, that sure. mission entails? I'm happy to do that. Political theology or public theology, you may hear it called that too. It's, they mean the same thing, basically. So I'll give you all a little mini definition of what political theology is for us ordained and lay folks who are interested in being in the trenches to help achieve greater social justice. So political theology is basically taking a message from our faith tradition, and that could be Christian or Jewish or Islam or Hindu, whatever it is, because we're all protected under the First Amendment in the United States to speak from a faith perspective. And we use that lens on the world, that faith lens, to advocate for greater social justice. It's really that simple. So you're taking your faith message, you're putting it in the public square in some way, and that could be like this on a podcast. It could be in a speech. It could be in the halls of Congress or your city hall. It could be just out in the public square somewhere, any of these kinds of things where someone from the public could hear what you're saying falls within the purview of political theology, a faith-based political message. So I started Political Theology Matters because after I had this experience in Southwest Detroit, as I mentioned earlier, I thought to myself, how can I make the most contribution to equality and justice. And I discerned after a lot of prayer and thinking and talking that it probably wasn't through congregational or parish ministry. So I started this company. It is a for-profit company. And I say that because I did not want to have the restrictions on me that charities and churches have 
when they organize as a 501c3 tax exempt organization. So this way, I do not have those limits on what I say and do. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. I hope. Okay. So Political Theology Matters is a Michigan company, and I use it as a container, if you will. It's the mechanism through which I do speaking engagements and I teach seminars. I'm writing a book. I'm helping people learn how to do political theology because it can be intimidating. And it's intimidating because many of our social issues are longstanding and very complex. Yes. For example, when we talk about racism in the United States, we're not just talking about racism as it's happening in the 21st century right now, or as it happened in the 20th century in the 1900s. We are talking about something that went back 80 or 90 years before the Declaration of Independence. Yes. And so a lot of people say to me, our issues on race are so complicated. I don't know where to start. And then my response is, well, that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you discern a mission and figure out how to go and do it. Are, are we going to solve these problems overnight? No, we're not. If we don't do anything, are they going to change? Absolutely not. They're probably going to get worse, actually. But With all of us contributing our skills and experience and passions on specific issues that are really important to us, over time, we make a difference. Look at Dr. King. Look at John Lewis. Look at all of that work in the civil rights movement that resulted in the civil rights acts and the voting rights acts and all of those things. It was a huge combination of work by a whole lot of people. And it doesn't matter if you do something big or small. What matters is that you do something. Yes. Yes. So that's why political theology matters came into being. You know, Marcia, I want to commend you, first of all, for stepping out on faith, because as you mentioned, nonprofit organizations can put limits on what you can or cannot do. Even Mm -hmm. in the context of a church or parish, there are very limited opportunities for you to authentically sometimes express yourself to get to the desired result. And so to form that that for-profit business that you have political theology matters is a huge step towards making grassroots changes mm-hmm. in among our society. Exactly. So we, I'd like to thank you so much for those efforts. And so, Marsha, is American democracy on the right side of the track now? Or have <laughs> we jumped the constitutional guardrail <laughs> um, well, based on what we've seen in these past <laughs> years? I don't mean to laugh, but if you don't laugh, you cry. So yeah. Yeah, that's where we are. <laughs> I have been clutching onto my copy of the United States Constitution for several months here. This has been a real white knuckler as far as I'm concerned. As an attorney, I've been very, very concerned about what has gone on. First of all, the overt acts of the Republican Party and Donald Trump in trying to undermine the lawful election, the fair and lawful election that we had. 
if you think about their logic, and of course now we know a lot of things have been revealed that a lot of people have been fed a great deal of conspiratorial false information that has caused them to form opinions that number one, don't make sense, and number two, aren't true. It would be hard for me to accept that basically 80 million people were somehow in league with a fake or false or a corrupt election. But our democracy, although threatened, has held. So you ask me, are we on the right path or we have we jumped the constitutional guardrails? I'm going to say cautiously right now we're on the right track. We got Trump out of office. We have secured a razor thin margin by electing Senators Warnock and Ossoff in Georgia. And then, of course, our wonderful and fabulous new Vice President Kamala Harris is our tiebreaker in the event the Senate is completely divided, like they just were on the stimulus package and she broke the tie. It's fabulous. Right. So that is a really good piece of evidence that we are still on the right path. We have obviously elected Joe Biden, who I, I'm so proud of him for a number of reasons. He's not going to be perfect. He's not going to make everybody happy. That's an impossible job. But already we're talking about having every eligible adult registered to be vaccinated after we've had this year-long onslaught of the COVID pandemic. Right. So we've got people who care about the American public in the White House and in the vice president's house. We survived January 6th, although that was an incredibly scary day, I think, for most, yes. most of us in the United yes. States. Mm-hmm. But that same day, the Senate met and did its constitutional duty. I do believe that was an act of sedition to stop a constitutionally mandated final count in the Senate of the Congress. We cannot allow something like that to happen again. And we are moving in positive directions with the stimulus. We're talking about various equality acts and voting rights, and there's all kinds of really good things happening. So for now, we are on the right track, but it requires all of us as voters to be vigilant. The price of freedom is vigilance. That's a wonderful expression that I remind myself of all the time. We have to be vocal with our representatives in the Congress about what we want done, because We're still vulnerable in the midterm elections of 2022. We have to be sure that the composition of the Congress does not change substantially. Right. That will really help us stay on the right path. Exactly. And so what this past administration did teach us is that democracy, if it's not monitored, is very, very fragile. Quite right. Also taught us the underlying root of you know, racism as well as classism, it really exposed it to a level where we wanted to pretend it wasn't there, but it was very evident. And so if anything, these past four years have really exposed who America really is, what's in the heart. And in order for things to heal, 
sometimes they have to be totally exposed so they can work towards healing. And, yeah. and so sometimes I think the process of life allows that so that we can come the better ourselves as Americans. And so you hit on a lot of different points where we are basically moving towards the brokenness and the healing. Now, Marsha, there's this push now that says that minorities are going to pretty much make up the United States of America. What are your thoughts on that? And have you any opinions on that theory? I think that that's very relevant to our discussion, Odell, because for one thing, by 2050, one in three persons in the United States will be of Hispanic heritage. One in three persons as of 2050. Mm -hmm. And as demographers talk about the shift in our population based on race and ethnicity, folks who supported this tumult, this insurrection on January 6th, and I'm talking almost exclusively of white Americans of a, a certain ideology, I think are very nervous about this. I think they're very, very nervous. And a lot of what we've seen, the election of Trump, his outrageous statements, particularly on race, calling Mexicans criminals and rapists, building this ridiculous wall, all of these things point to a very nervous, very threatened white population that does not want to lose its white privilege. And so I think that that has been a major driving force to a lot of what we've seen recently. Yes, yes. And like I said, I really hope and my prayer, and I'm optimistic that there will be some unity between the two movements and that we can all come together as not so much this one against that one, but as a unified America. Because basically when America changes, the whole world listens and adheres to those changes. And so- Right, and I think we've taken a big hit over the last four years. We have lost some of our leadership creds, if you will, Mm -hmm. over the way Donald Trump has acted, over the things he has said, over the way he's treated other sovereign countries around the world, right now, I don't think are looked to as the so-called shining example of democracy that we have been in the past. Yes. In some ways, I think that's good because we are tripped up on American exceptionalism. And I might modify that even further by saying, American white exceptionalism. And we need to strip that out of our sense of who we are because we aren't infallible. And we've certainly proven that over the last four years. Yes. Yes. And so audience, we're going to take a short commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk and go into Christianity and see where the church and where Christianity is standing on these social justice issues after this short commercial break. Do you need a certain SAT score to get into the college of your choice? Well, Dr. Odell Glenn can help you get it. The Three Tier Foundation offers online SAT prep classes. 
Dr. Glenn will show you test strategies and tactics needed to get the score you want. The exam is beatable with the proper coach. We are open to working with individuals, schools, and groups for six-week online sessions. Sign up at www.3tierfoundation.com forward slash SAT dash preparation. That's www.3tierfoundation.com forward slash SAT dash preparation. In need of a motivational speaker for your upcoming event? Dr. Glenn speaks at school graduations, public gatherings, colleges, and universities. In addition, he is a national radio personality as well as published author. Have him speak at your next in-person or online event at 3tierfoundation at gmail.com. That's the number 3tierfoundation at gmail.com. Does your child have an interest in STEM? Is he or she always asking the why questions? With four engineering degrees behind him, Dr. Glenn can help you better navigate the process. Sign up on his website at www.ogstem.com for newsletters, his upcoming book, and webinars dedicated to STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. The key to success is to plan early. It's never too early to plan. Do you have that burning desire to educate, empower, and inspire community? We here at WDRB Media provide you with such wonderful opportunities to make such a positive impact. So step out on faith and make a significant difference with your gift. We care about your voice and the impact it has. Call 1-877-342-7770 and provide them with the code 1349 to begin the process. That's 1-877-342-7770 and code 1349. Welcome back, audience. This is Dr. Glenn with Marsha Ledford, who is a civil rights attorney, as well as an ordained minister. And so, Marsha, we were talking about the overall view of American democracy prior and the effect of moving forward but let's now focus on the niche of Christian and Christianity. How has Christianity become so divided? I mean, you would think that Christianity and the church world would be unified on issues of social justice and mm-hmm. disbanding racism and portraying the love that Jesus told us to portray. But why have we become so divided? Well, I think we've always been divided. We just haven't talked about it, which is very much the situation when it comes to our history of slavery, of reconstruction, lynching, and disenfranchisement of black male voters, and of contemporary lynching that's going on, you know, right now with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Michael Brown, and I could just go on and on and on. Um And that's because Christianity is divided because Christianity has been in league with those systems of slavery, of suppressing rights, and looking the other way. You had a quote this morning that was fabulous for what we're talking about. You can look the other way, but you can't say that you haven't seen it. And we just don't want to deal with our past. And our past has made us what we are today, particularly as we continue to fail to deal with racism in the United States. So during slavery, 
what was primarily preached in the black churches that were run by whites was from Ephesians, slaves obey your masters. It was a part of what was taught to slaves at the time. And I don't know if you've heard of a wonderful womanist theologian, Kelly Brown Douglas, who is the dean of uh, the Mm -hmm. Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary in New York. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Dean Douglas wrote a book a few years ago called The Black Christ. And in that, she provides astounding research about how when a slave was baptized, had to affirm or put an X on a piece of paper or something saying that they understood they would not be emancipated simply because they were being baptized. So freedom came after death and eternal life. Freedom was not about their lives in slavery. This whole kind of a mindset sticks with us, stays with us and drives us. And so it's always been there. I just think with whites feeling very threatened and seeing Donald Trump as their deliverer that he's been referred to as the anointed one, as the Messiah, as all of these great names of salvation, the folks who support him see him as saving them from losing their white privilege. Mm. And the church has been in on that since the beginning. Not all of it. And certainly some corners of Christ's Holy Vineyard member churches have worked to dissolve slavery, to undo it, to abolitionists in the Northeast. There have been those movements all along, but unfortunately, it took a long time for them to predominate and for 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to be enacted after the South lost the Civil War and slavery was disbanded. Right, right. Wow. So yeah, we're dealing with the past that has to be dealt with. Absolutely. And if it's not dealt with, it will repeat itself. And if we are praying for the healing of our nation. And so that leads me to my next question, Marcia, is what is the spirit of resistance? What does that mean? Oh, that's, um, thank you for asking that. It's a This is something that I've been blogging about, especially, and I think later on in your show notes, you'll have a link and people can check that out if they want to read some of that uh, material. But I've been writing about the spirituality of resistance, and it really works in two parts. There's the personal part, the meditation part, discernment, understanding what issues really stick in your craw, so to speak. It could be human trafficking. It could be racism. It could be immigration reform. It could be domestic violence and human trafficking. There are many, many issues that are out there that we can work on. And so a spirituality of resistance requires us to do some deep digging and discernment, reflection, prayer to guide us to work on the thing that really calls us or draws us. The other part of that is the corporate part. It's the action. We can pray and think and talk and, you know, analysis paralysis until the cows come home. But at some point, if we feel passionate about an issue, then that means we have to get out there and do something about it. So that's the second part of the spirituality of resistance. And what is so important 
are understanding the difference between avoidance, you know, where you're avoiding something, but you know, it's still there, but it's still really bugging you and Mm. acknowledging it, embracing it, leaning into it, even though it's really hard, because that's still ultimately easier than just trying to shove it under the floorboards of your conscience, as Roger Gottlieb says. He wrote a wonderful book about the spirituality of resistance. He's Jewish. A lot of what he said has application to any tradition. He just happens to use a Jewish voice as he's teaching and writing about this concept. But I have found it to be a really effective way to articulate why it's important to engage in public theology. Because if we don't, things have a tendency to get worse. They don't improve on their own, do they? I would say for the most part, no. And it gives us a sense of investment and energy and opportunity to help make the world a better place, or at least our little corner of the world. So the spirituality of resistance is about that. It's about private discernment and public action. And one of the best ways to do the public part of it is to find a congregation or a community organizing entity or some other group that is working on an issue for which you have great passion. Yes, yes. It's very interesting that you say that. My particular church in Columbia, South Carolina, we Mm -hmm. have joined forces with other churches. I love that. In the community for the Uh social justice reform. And so all churches of all denominations, all races, have come together to solve the social justice issue in just our small community, Columbia, South Carolina. So Mm -hmm. we meet every month and we have formed group leaders and team leaders where we basically address those issues. Because sometimes people think, and a lot of church Christians think, hey, feeding the poor, giving to the hungry, those are awesome things. And we have to continue doing those things. But we also have to address the issue of why. Why are there marginalized communities? Why are there communities where they're not getting the proper health needs that they need to be addressed? Why don't certain communities get laptops? And that then becomes social justice where we Mm -hmm. have to embrace our congressmen, embrace our elected officials to form petitions to change And then that becomes what Jesus said of feeding the poor, meeting the needs of the hungry. And so we kind of also have to change the mindset of how we service others. And we can serve others through social justice mechanisms into answering the why behind the feeding the hungry and the clothing the naked. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When... We spoke earlier and you mentioned the coalition to me. I just loved that. And I'm wondering if I can ask you a question. Yes. Mm -hmm. So as you have been working through this coalition and you're building the body of Christ, joining up with other congregations, how does that feel when you get together and you do something? What is that like? It's the best feeling in the world. You know, I go to an African Methodist Episcopal church, Mm -hmm. which is predominantly African-American. 
But when I joined forces with the Lutherans, as mm-hmm. well as the United Methodists, as yep. well as other Baptist churches, mm-hmm. we forget about the color of our skin and our differences. And we realize that we're more alike than different. And we're coming together for a cause to help mental illness in the community, to mm-hmm. help a stronger police force that embraces the community instead of turning them against them to work together, to come together to provide support for our senior citizens. These are common issues that if you are a human being, regardless of your color of your skin or your background, you are adhered to help eliminate the amount of gun violence in communities. Mm-hmm. When we come together, we then are stronger together than we are. Oh, yeah. apart. And then we Absolutely. Do the work that the work of God has called us to do and realize that our congregations of 50, 40, 20 really are stronger when we bind together as a force. And that is one of the greatest feelings when we all get together, we're doing meetings on Zoom. And again, this coalition is throughout the entire United States of America. So you want to be, may want to look into your community to see how you can become involved. But it makes going to church, it makes doing service of God much more enlightening and empowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think it also, for me, has made the scriptures come alive. Yes. It has made, I sometimes go and preach a little tiny micro homily at an anti-deportation protest. And I talk about the Holy Family. I talk about Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as refugees in Egypt. Oh, yeah. And it brings all of it alive. I've preached about the persistent widow and the unjust judge. It's an amazing feeling to see what our sacred texts tell us come true when we work exactly. together and respect the dignity of each and every human being created in the image of God. That yes. is amazing stuff. Yes. And so that leads me to my next question, Marcia. What does the Christian concept of we are one in the body of Christ mean? We hinted on it, but yeah. what is your version of well, we are- this is a great uh, this is a great question because I'm often asked by people, particularly introverts, who say to me, you know, my thing is not getting up on the front line of a protest or testifying at a committee hearing, a government committee hearing. That is just not where I'm at. And I say, that's fine. That's wonderful that you know that about yourself. Because we are all given gifts by the Holy Spirit. We all have things that we're good at. Some of us are great at researching. Some of us are graphic designers. Some of us are big mouths on the you know, front end of a protest. Some of us have other talents and abilities and gifts of the spirit, exhortation, for example. In the 12th chapter of St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he talks about one of my favorite concepts, which is the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. He talks about how, for we are all one in the body of Christ. And then he talks about how there's the head and there's the eyes and there's the ears and there's all these different parts that are meant to complement one another. 
And so your coalition is a perfect example of the body of Christ getting together. And you all have your abilities. I think every congregation typically has special strengths, um, and they vary from congregation to congregation. But one of Paul's questions that, you know, Paul's always great about asking a question that he wants to answer himself. And he says in that passage, you know, for if the body were all I, where would the hearing be? Right, exactly. Yeah. And that is so important to me. And I think it is such an important guiding principle for us doing political theology because we've all got things that we're good at, but we don't need all eyes. We need eyes and ears and a mouth and hands and feet. You know, we need everybody doing everything they're good at. And that makes us unstoppable. Yes, yes, exactly. And Mm -hmm. Marsha, you hit on the, hit that right on the nose, because again, we need our uniqueness and we need our gifts to come to the forefront so that it makes the whole body work together properly mm-hmm. and effectively. And so this is why I'm encouraging all of you to utilize your gifts. And this is the mm-hmm. purpose of my show is to empower you to use that uniqueness that you have to help change the world. And you may not change everybody in the world, but you will definitely help and change someone. And so Marsha, what it's the difference between political theology and American civil religion. Okay. That's a major contrast between those two. What are the differences? Yeah. Okay. So American civil religion is kind of a tricky thing to explain, but here there are three prongs. And I say prongs because lawyers love prongs in a test to see if the legal requirement is met. So we break them into prongs. So the first prong is civil religion takes a political idea and sacralizes it. In other words, it doesn't come from the scripture. It's something that is turned into the quasi-sacred. Okay. Then a creed of some kind develops, and I'm going to invite your audience to think of a recent creed that we've had to deal with for four years. Um, (laughs) It appears often on a red hat. And then the third thing that happens is this creed and this sacralized ideology is imposed on everybody. Okay. And often some of the things that you see uh, uh, that go alongside a civil religion are this sense of greatness, this creating of legends, of right. myths, of exceptionalism. And of course, the Manifest Destiny is a perfect example of an American sense of exceptionalism. You know, whites were brought here to drive across West to the whole country and subsume it and own it notwithstanding the indigenous persons that had lived here for a long, long time, but we are the chosen. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to use an example of white privilege as this ideology that has become sacralized 
And we saw this on January 6th all over the place. Plus, we saw this crazy interweaving of Christianity and Jesus saves and all these shocking placards that basically show Christianity endorsing what was going on during this insurrection. And then we have a creed. What do you think the creed is that I alluded to? make America great. Make America great again. Well, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that we revert all the way back to slavery? What the heck are we talking about here? Yes. Yeah. We're talking about further strengthening white hegemony, white supremacy, white privilege, all of those things. And then we're going to force it down everybody's throat. Yes. So we have an American civil religion that's based on our exceptionalism and our white privilege and our sense of nostalgia about how great we've been in the past, even though we had slavery, even though we've had systemic lynching and systemic racism and economic disparity and exploitation. We still think that we were great back then. So there you go. And of course, Trump wanted to basically ram this down everybody's throat. Right. Yes. Wow. Marsha, you really put the hammer on the nail on that one (laughs) and explained it to the core. Right. Marsha, how can people reach you? I'm sure people want to get your book to maybe have you on for speaking engagements to contact you. How can the people reach you? Well, you are very kind. Thank you. We'll have my email. You can email me at Marsha. M-A-R-C-I-A, so that's M-A-R-C-I-A at myptm, M-I-P-T-M dot com. So myptm stands for my political theology matters dot com. And you can send me a note and tell me you would like to, you know, have a conversation about something. I would be delighted to do that. If you go to my website, which will be in the show notes politicaltheologymatters.com. You can go there and get a free training on political theology that I gave uh, recently. I convene the Public Theology Network for the Midwest section of the Episcopal Church, and you can learn about how Moses and Jesus were public theologians and how they modeled for us how to do that. So you can do that and get some good theological foundation for what it is that we do as public theologians. And uh, what was your other question? Basically just giving out your information, which you most kindly did. And and so, Marsha, we've seen and experienced the Black Lives Matter move, and we've seen the protests of George Floyd, not only here in America, but mm-hmm. in Ireland, Australia, oh, yeah. Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was awesome doing the COVID-19. And so we know that 2020 was a year of the unusual and yes, change, indeed. but was what's needed. Mm-hmm. And so when we all have protested and then the, when that comes to an end as a country, as a universe, mm-hmm. What do we do when we go home? Well, what we do when we go home can vary depending on who we are, but there's all kinds of things we can do. 
first of all, do that work that I mentioned about discerning what is important to you. And then if it's not your congregation, find an entity that's working on issues that are important to you and start volunteering. That's something you can do right away. Find out who your congressional representative is and your two states, two federal senators, and be in constant contact with them. I had somebody ask me, you know, what do I do? My, my senators all vote the way that I want them to. And should I still contact them? And my answer is always yes, because they keep track of, you know, positive support statistics as well as negative. They need both to know how their constituency wants them to vote on a particular issue. And so it's always, always important to stay in touch with them. So those are two things we can do right now. And if you're not sure who your representatives are, you can go to an organization called commoncause.org, just like it sounds, commoncause.org, and punch in your zip code, and you can find out also your state representatives and senators. So you can get a lot of information there very easily. So audience, you want to go to that website Right away, if you can, commoncores.org, and then we'll tell you who your representatives are. Because again, you don't want to just protest mm-hmm. and do nothing. The grassroots right. efforts that you do inside your community mm-hmm. are the things that bring about global and national change. So you want That's to right. become involved in using your gifts, using your talents, if you're an introvert or an extrovert, there's something for you to do in your community to help support a positive outcome in and outside your community, which then provokes change. So again, we don't want to just wait till the protests to come. We want to start now. That's right. Um, I'm inspired by your ability to provide pithy quotes to us. And so I'd like to offer one in closing, if it's okay with you. Sure. Benjamin Franklin was asked when the Declaration of Independence and so forth were being crafted, a woman asked him, did you give us a monarchy or a republic? Oh, wow. Did you give us a monarchy or a republic, you founding folks? And his response was, a republic, if you can keep it. Okay, that's very, very interesting. <laughs> a lot yeah. of thought. Yes. And so I, I say to us all, myself included, let's go out there and keep our republic and our democracy healthy yes. and safe. Yes, yes. Marcia, can you please give out your information once again? Sure. Someone missed it the first time. How do they contact you? Sure. My email is Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A, at myptm.com. That's M-I-P-T-M dot com. I'll say it one more time. Marcia at myptm dot com. And my website is politicaltheologymatters.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Marsha Leffer. You have been a blessing to us this morning on our show. Many people I know have been inspired and empowered. I know I have been educated as well as empowered myself. And so can you close us out with 
the closing prayer? I most certainly will. Grant, O gracious God, that your holy and life-giving spirit may so move every human heart, and especially the hearts of the people of this land, that barriers which divide us may crumble, suspicions disappear, and hatreds cease, that our divisions being healed, we may live in justice and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Well, guys, this is all the time we have on the OG Inspiration Show. Hoping that today you have learned a lot about social justice, empowerment, the marginalized, and that your voice actually matters. And so don't think, just think about it. Now that you're inspired, as we mentioned, you must now go ahead and do something. And that doing could be through a grassroots effort, using your empowerment, using your voice through the gifts and talents that you have. And so you want to take note of that and move forward as you go through this week, this month, and this year. And so until next time, this is Dr. Odell Glenn signing off of the OG Inspiration Show. Have a blessed, safe, and healthy week. God bless.